Hello. I'd like to show you guys 30 seconds of the best day of my life. That was El Capitan in California's Yosemite National Park. And in case you couldn't tell, I was climbing by myself without a rope, a style of climbing known as free soloing. That was the culmination of a nearly decade-long dream. And in the video, I'm over 2,500 feet off the ground. Seems scary? Yeah, it is. Which is why I spent so many years dreaming about soloing El Cap and not actually doing it. <laughs> But on the day that that video was taken, it didn't feel scary at all. It felt as comfortable and as natural as a walk in the park which is what most folks were doing in Yosemite that day. <laughs> Free climbing Yosemite's El Capitan without a rope. Seems impossible, right? But he did it. And, and what Alex talks about is how the only way is having every mo movement so practiced, there was no room at all for fear or anxiety to creep in during that climb. What if we could do the same thing with anxiety? as we're talking about overcoming anxiety, which may, may feel impossible to some of us. But what if we had such practiced habits of mind that fear and anxiety had no chance to take hold? What if we literally had ingrained in the muscle memory of our minds habits that produce joy and peace as a default instead? Maybe right now that seems impossible, but that's what we're going to talk about today. Before we do, um, if you're new joining us in this anxiety series, I really want to encourage you to go back, go on our website, gatewaychurch.com, and listen to the last two weeks, because all these talks are building on each other, okay? So one without the other doesn't work real well. But let me just quickly recap. We first started talking about how we're going to attack anxiety holistically. We're spirit, we're soul, and we're body. And so that means it all has to work together when attacking anxiety. We have to address our spiritual beliefs because that influences our, our mental thoughts, our self-talk, which actually ingrains patterns in our brain, in our body. In fact, you know, Eric Candle, a Nobel Prize winning neuropsychiatrist, shows how thoughts and, and even our imaginations, he says, get under the skin of our DNA so that they literally turn certain genes on or turn certain genes off, changing the structure of the neurons in our brains. So like week one, we talked about you may have a, pre, uh, a genetic predisposition toward anxiety, but what this is saying is you don't have to keep turning those genes on. You can turn them off. So as we think and imagine, we change the structure of our brains, and it gets rooted or grooved in, which is also why we said in week one, That, that's why prescribed medications under the direction of a therapist or a psychiatrist is sometimes needed. It's like, it's like setting a cast on a broken bone to give that bone a chance to heal up. In the same way, sometimes medications are needed so our brain, our mind has a chance to regroove our brain. But at the same time, we want to get at the roots of the issue. We want to change the, the grooves in our brain, not to default to anxiety, 
Because that's when it starts to feel just hopeless. Like, like we can't respond to God's spirit because we're so overwhelmed. But it's meant to be the other way around. That actually our spirit, in ongoing relationship with God's spirit, is able to align with what he says is true and real and control our minds and emotions in line with God's reality so that our soul, our mind and emotions start to ingrain in our body, in our brains, habits that assist in us experiencing the peace and the joy that he promises. And do you know that when these changes start to happen in the brain, you can literally see them on a brain scan. I I read a book called The Power of Habit, uh, an awesome book. And in it, Uh, The writer tells a story of of Lisa Allen, a 34-year-old who started smoking and drinking when she was 16. She struggled with obesity. She had collectors coming after her for $10,000 of outstanding debt. She had never held a job for even a year. And yet here she stood in front of these medical researchers, and she looked lean and vibrant, toned legs of a runner. She looked a decade younger than the photos in, in her chart that they were looking at. Lisa had no outstanding debt, she didn't drink or smoke, and she was in the third year of a graphic design job. And and they talked about how one small shift in Lisa's perception had touched off this series of changes over a six-month period, where she'd replaced smoking with jogging, which led to watching how she ate, worked, slept, saved money, planned for the future. And do you know that when the medical researchers looked at images of Lisa's brain, They saw how one set of neurological patterns, her old bad habits, had been overridden by new patterns. They could still see the neural activity of her old behaviors, but those impulses had been crowded out by new impulses. So literally, as as Lisa practiced new practices, they changed her brain to actually assist in new habits. And that's what we're talking about today. Because what that means is our brains may have gotten wired for anxiety or negativity or worry or lust or all kinds of bad patterns, but it doesn't mean you have to leave them that way. And we can actually put different habits in place. Now, last week, we talked about a four-step practice that Dr. J.P. Moreland recommended in his book, Finding Quiet. And he talked about when he was dealing with severe anxiety and panic attacks and how this practice of catching these anxious thoughts and doing these steps with them actually helped bring them under control. But this week we're going proactive. So not just trying to control anxious thoughts in the moment, but getting ahead of the game. Kind of like trying to climb an impossible mountain with practice over and over, wiring our brains to actually help us with habits of hope and peace and joy. How do we do this? Well, I think we can learn from a climber. Watch. The thing that makes El Cap so intimidating is the sheer scale of the wall. Most climbers take three to five days to ascend the 3,000 feet of vertical granite. The idea of setting out up a wall of that size with nothing but shoes and a chalk bag seemed impossible. 3,000 feet of climbing represents thousands of distinct hand and foot movements, which is a lot to remember. Many of the moves I knew through sheer repetition. I'd climbed El Cap maybe 50 times over the previous decade with a rope. But this photo shows my preferred method of rehearsing the moves. I'm on the summit, about to rappel down the face with over 1,000 feet of rope to spend the day practicing by myself. Once I found sequences that felt secure and repeatable, I had to memorize them. 
I had to make sure that they were so deeply ingrained within me that there was no possibility of error. I didn't want to be up on the wall wondering if I was going the right way or using the best holds. I needed everything to feel automatic. Climbing with a rope is a largely physical effort. You just have to be strong enough to hold on and make the movements upward. But free soloing plays out more in the mind. The physical effort is largely the same. Your body is still climbing the same wall. But staying calm and performing at your best when you know that any mistake could mean death requires a certain kind of mindset. <laughs> That's not supposed to be funny, but but it is. It is. <laughs> I work to cultivate that mindset through visualization, which basically just means imagining the entire experience of soloing the wall. So what Alex said is he had to make it automatic, right? He had to make it automatic through repetition, through memorizing, through visualizing, so that it just he could just do it naturally. Well, when it comes to worry and anxiety, there are two practices that come out of this Philippians 4 passage that we've been studying the last three weeks that can produce hope's habits if we practice them. Let's look at it again. So Philippians 4 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, that's key, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about or meditate on such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So the two practices that emerge out of this that can really create hope's habits are first contemplative prayer. In other words, fixing our minds, meditating on what is good and true and right, on God's good gifts. And the second is gratitude with thanksgiving. This puts hope's habits in as a default. And that's what we're doing. And in order to do that, I think we need to understand why, what's going on under the surface. Because otherwise, I don't know if you'll be really motivated to really go after this to do it. So neuroscientist Dr. Caroline Leaf points out something very important. Most of your outward behavior is habitual and non-conscious. You don't even think about it. You know, I don't know if you've really considered that before. You know, I think many times we think our brains work like this. They, they, they remain kind of idle, you know, a little self-talk and stuff like that. But then we see something, something stimulates it. Oh, I see a friend. Oh, I wonder what my friend's doing. Our minds start thinking, oh, I'll go talk to my friend. So that our minds start thinking once we get some stimuli toward that thought. But that's not actually what's going on. She says our brains are turned on 24-7. And your mind, which again is that thinking, feeling capacity that uses the physical brain. The soul uses the physical brain, is dependent on the physical brain while we're in the body. But that mind is processing all the time independent of your conscious mind. In fact, Dr. Leaf says that 60 to 80% of energy usage of the brain is independent of any stimuli. Even when you're sleeping, we know this, right? Your mind is still sorting and processing, which means there is a deeper intuitive you. There's a deeper intuitive you. And that's what hope's habits are going after. You know, in the power of habit, uh, they give uh, the example of Eugene. 
who had suffered from viral encephalitis, which literally took out a walnut chunk size of his brain such that he couldn't remember anything. The medical researchers asked him to remember a string of, of, uh, of, of numbers or a string of ideas. He couldn't remember any of them. Ask him to just say, name something that was in the hall, you know, that he walked down on the way to the office. He couldn't remember anything. Showed him pictures of his grandkids. He couldn't remember his grandkids. And yet when he was released from the hospital and went home, one day his wife found he was gone. And she panicked and she searched the neighborhood, comes back to the house 20 minutes later, and he's there sitting in front of the TV watching his favorite channel, the History Channel. This started to happen regularly where he would take these walks. And so the medical researcher decided to follow him and, and followed him and, and found out Eugene didn't talk much, but he knew exactly where he was going, but he couldn't tell you where he was going. And in fact, when they rounded the corner and could see his house, they asked, which one is your house? He didn't know which was his house. But he walked right up the front steps into the door, sat down in his favorite chair, turned on the TV and turned to the History Channel. But he couldn't tell you how he did or that he did any of that. And so the researchers realize there is a deeper part of us that our intellect outsources to. This deeper part forms habits that are in control of much of our behavior, but we don't think about it. So Dr. Leaf goes on and explains it this way. God has also designed the brain in such a way that the intrinsic activity in the non-conscious part of our minds is where most of the mind action takes place. And it's always dominant, 24 hours a day. It's where we are thinking, choosing, building, and sorting thoughts. Simply put, it's this constant high energy activity that's always going on in the non-conscious mind, even when we're resting. What we consciously think and what we say and do is all driven by the information and activity in this non-conscious mind, so that the non-conscious mind has the roots get that, of all our words and actions. But here's the key. We choose with our minds what these roots will be. That's what we're going after with these habits. Now, just as a side note, I find something just fascinating. Do you know also that neuroscientists have determined that the heart actually has its own independent nervous system? They call it uh, the brain of the heart. That in a, in a very literal sense, the heart thinks for itself. There are some 40,000 neurons in the heart. That's as many as in some sub-regions of the brain that are, that are uh, essential for our functioning. So some scientists even talk about heart intelligence, this flow of intuitive insight and awareness, this non-conscious wisdom. Now, think about that. In biblical terms, you know, the soul is the person. But the soul has two faculties, the intellectual cognition and then the intuitive perception, right? And each is associated with a different body part. It's fascinating if you think about it. So, so the mind is associated with the brain, but the, what the Bible, I think, calls the heart, this intuitive, deepest part of us, science may be indicating at least in part, is using the neurons of our physical heart as well as some of the deeper regions of our brain. And that's, I mean, if you stop and think about that, think about 2,000 years ago in God's word saying, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, look at that, will guard your mind 
and your heart. Isn't that fascinating? And, and here's what's important about that. God understands things about you that we're still trying to figure out. And that's why this first of hope's habits is so important. Contemplative prayer. Because what this does is it starts to root in down here into our minds and our hearts, into that non-conscious intuitive self, a default state of mind that's in line with God's peace and joy. We're practicing what Philippians 4 says, okay? One version says it this way, whatever is true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, of good report, good news, a good message, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, anything, meditate on these things. So meditate, that's one way of translating, or dwell, or Think about, think deeply about. So this is a form of biblical meditation. It's intentionally slowing down. It's doing what the psalmist says in Psalm 46. Be still, God says. Be still and know, and this is an experiential know, know that I'm God. So what we're doing in this prayer is we're quieting our minds. We're slowing our hearts and our thoughts. Now, let me just say, this is not a meditation like emptying your mind. It's focusing your mind. It's focusing your heart on what God says is true and good and right. It's dwelling on the positive. And what we're trying to do is put a new default bias down in the, in the non-conscious part of our mind and our heart. We're practicing what Isaiah promised in Isaiah 26. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. This is an act of trusting. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. This is an active meditation on God and what he says is true. And that really is the purpose of this contemplative prayer. Really two things. The first is to love God. So like any prayer, the, the point is to slow down and quiet your mind and put it in a place long enough to experience God's love and to express love to God with all our hearts, right? That's, that's the whole point of life. The second, though, is to transform your character by learning how to actually calm your body parts, to, to focus on what God says is true, to meditate on God and experience anxiety leaving and experience it being replaced by peace. Now, we talked about how Dr. Moreland said he overcame severe anxiety, and it wasn't just a w one step. You know, he, he at, at one point went to a psychiatrist and got medication to help. At another point, he, he's a therapist. He used group, a group in his life as well, which we're going to talk about the importance of that next week. But this thing he put in place, this exercise we're going to talk about today, and the one we talked about yesterday, he put this habit in place every hour every morning and every night during the most challenging times of his severe anxiety. And he writes about in his book, Finding Quiet, how this radically changed him so that after that, he went through four bouts of cancer with no anxiety. He said it radically changed his default mode. Now, he also said, you don't need to do it an hour. 15 minutes a day is enough. In fact, there was a study done that showed that 15 minutes of this attentive, focused prayer Every day for eight weeks changes those bad grooves in your brain enough to be detected on a brain scan. 
pretty amazing. Contemplative prayer is shaping our non-conscious brain. And Dr. Leaf explains that the brain actually has networks of functions that coordinate together. The main one is called the default mode network or DMN. Now, the default mode network is the non-conscious intuitive network in your brain that's kind of like the, the orchestra, uh, the, the conductor overseeing the orchestra. And what she says is these things are going on 24-7 and, and the, the default uh, mode network, the DMN, is most active, get this, most active when you're in this quiet state, when your mind is introspective, relaxed, deeply thinking, but a directed rest, an idling state. And that then sets it up to be able to coordinate all the other networks to be able to react on a conscious level. So what this means is this meditative prayer, this slowing down, this directed rest, centering on what God says is true, you are sowing hope's habits into the non-conscious part of yourself, the part that is at work most of the time, 24-7. You're rewiring your default state. And that's very important to understand. That's why do this. So let me tell you what Dr. Moreland did. And this is not the only way to do this. I've used slight variations of something like this. But here's how to do this contemplative prayer. Step one, find a comfortable, quiet, private place that you can regularly use. In other words, you need to, you need to find a place that you enjoy, that you want to go to regularly, and where you won't be interrupted. That's really key. There won't be distractions. There won't be interruptions. You know, oftentimes what I'll do is I'll set a timer for, say, 15 minutes or 20 minutes. Because I'll go on and I'll read scripture or I'll pray. I'll do other things in that time. But you don't want to be checking the clock. So I'll set a timer and then just let myself be quiet. That, that 15 or 20 minutes or whatever you set the timer for. The second step is spend a few minutes just relaxing your body and your mind. So just take some deep breaths. Breathe very slow. Relax your shoulders. Do, do just a little scan like, and, and slow your heart rate. You can do that by breathing deeply in, breathing slowly out, and, and watch your heart calm down. And then just do a mental body scan. Say, is there any part of me that's tense right now or that's hurting? And just say, God, bring your peace to that part of my body and, and just focus until it just starts to relax. That brings you to step three. Focus on, God, on truth and God's goodness. Focus on truth and God's goodness. Now, this is where I think it's important to know the Bible. This is why you want to know the Bible, and especially what Jesus teaches about the heart and the compassion of God, who God is, what God is like. In fact, um, there are a couple passages that, if you're new to this, I would use to really meditate on how God feels about you. Romans chapter 8, especially the last part of it, and Ephesians chapter 1. Those are two good starting places. On the next steps, you can pick out on the way out or on your app. I've given you some other passages, other just encouraging verses to dwell on. And that's what you're doing. You're, you're focusing on what God says is true and good. So, for instance, I might take this verse. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So now in this relaxed place, I just say, you care for me. You care for me. Can you say that? Do you experience it? Do you believe it? The core, your intuitive core. 
You care for me. So all these worries, all these anxieties, and you picture laying them at his feet. I can cast them on you. I lay them at your feet. Maybe a verse like this, trust in the Lord with all your heart, with your deepest core. Don't just lean on your own understanding, what you can figure out, because you can't control everything. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will guide your paths. I'll say these things over and over. God, I can lay these things at your feet, these things I worry about, because you promise you'll guide me. You've got it under control. I will trust you. And as your mind wanders, just bring it back to these, to these things. Or maybe it's this one, peace I leave you, Jesus said. My peace I give you. And he says, it's not like the world gives. It's a deeper peace. So do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And I'll just invite God. God, I invite your peace into my life right now. I'm willing. So you just start to experience what he says is true and good. And then step four, love God. So now in this calm, open, receptive place, I just open my heart to God, to experience God's love and and to express love to God. Again, you know, love is what Jesus said, but it's what the Old Testament prophets said it's all about, to love God first and then to let him teach us to love one another. But the reason we struggle to love one another is because we don't know how to receive love from God. So this is a chance This is putting yourself in a place where you meditate on the love of God. I might use a verse like this. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said, so have I loved you. Now remain or soak, soak your mind, soak your heart in my love. And so you you just sit there with that. Now, many times, I'll be honest, you know, it's like I don't have some spiritual experience. There'll be no discernible change. But what you're doing is you're just being still, knowing that he is God, knowing what he says is true, and letting it root into your very being. And you know what? When you start to believe it in the core, it makes a difference. It has power. In fact, um, Dr. Gail Ironson said, who is a professor of psychology and psychiatry at the University of Miami, uh, leading mind-body med- medical researcher, did a study on this. And here's what she found. She said the most significant factor that made a difference in the healing of those with HIV was a choice to believe in a benevolent, loving God, especially those if they chose to have a personal relationship with a benevolent, loving God. Fascinating. Her study ran over four years, and her determination of healing was based on the decrease in the viral load or the the amount of AIDS virus in the blood. And she said, those who chose an active, loving relationship with the God of Jesus, that's who he described God to be, right? Who forgives all our sins, who accepts us as is, who loves us more than you could love your child or any other person. And all this says is, our spiritual beliefs practiced in our self-talk, what we dwell on, when we dwell and experience what God says is true and good and right, it actually affects our physical bodies. It affects our brains. It affects our hearts. So think about it. You use your imagination to worry and fret about a future that you don't know anything about and most of it's not going to happen as we've talked about, right? Right? Why don't you use your imagination to picture what God says is true? How he actually feels about you. 
and how he actually has you in his hands and his hands are actually in control. So then step five, keep recentering. So you won't do this right. Your mind will wander. You'll start to worry again. You'll start to fret again. That's okay. Don't beat yourself up. Just come back to center, all right? Sometimes just saying a word over and over, Jesus or Abba or peace, you know, just some word that brings you back. And again, this isn't just meaningless repetition. This is refocusing on God. It's refocusing on what God says is true. And what we're doing is we're just putting into practice Philippians 4. We're letting our mind dwell. We're meditating on what is good and right and true. Friends, you do this. Do this daily for two to six months. You will change your default mode. You'll change it. Second practice that will change things. Gratitude. So notice Philippians 4 said, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, with prayer and with thanksgiving, talk to God about it. Go to God about it. So this is a key practice of changing that default mode network, the DMN, is thanking God throughout the day. It actually remaps your brain to experience life in a fuller way, in a better way than you've ever experienced it, defaulting on hope and joy rather than anxiety or worry or the negative. You know, we talked about this before, but you have something, uh, one of those networks that Dr. Leaf talked about is the RAS, the Reticular Activating System. It's a network in your brain that basically tells you what to pay attention to and what to ignore. Because think about it. We get bombarded with so much information all the time from all our senses. Information overload if you tried to pay attention to all of it. So this, this RAS, this reticular activating system network, basically tells you pay attention to these things. And we let it know what to bring to mind by what we focus on. You know, when you were little, uh, did you ever play uh, the game Slug Bug? You know what I'm talking So you're driving along on a long trip, and, uh, you know, if you see a, a, a Volkswagen bug, right, then if you're the first one to say, you say, you say Slug Bug Yellow, whatever the color of it is, and then you get to slug your brother in the shoulder, right? Maybe that's just a boy's game, right? <laughs> or, or your friend or whatever. But, you know, if you've ever played that game, you didn't notice any VWs. And then you start playing it, and it's all you can see. Even when you're done playing the game, for the next two days, you just see them everywhere. That's your RAS. You've experienced it when you're buying a car, right? You're not paying attention to that make or that color. And then all of a sudden, everywhere you drive, you're seeing those same cars in the same color. That's your RAS. All right, now here's why that's important. It's why the Bible insists on gratitude. It's filled with exhortations, be grateful to God. Not because God needs it, because we need gratitude. It says, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with gratitude. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See, because all of us have we have obstacles in the way of gratitude. Maybe it's a habitual tendency to be negative or to worry, or maybe it's comparison to others or a victim mentality, or maybe we have a history of suffering. But by practicing gratitude, we can refocus that non-conscious mind, that RAS, to show us the positive, good, and hopeful more. And this actually increases your experience 
of, of the good and the hopeful. You start to realize that life is actually an invitation to gratitude. Now, this is not ignoring the fact that there is bad, <clears throat> there's evil, there's injustice. It doesn't mean we deny that or ignore it. We just don't let it color everything else. Now, gratitude is not primarily a feeling. Gratitude is an act. It's a choice. It's an act of faith to be grateful to God for the things he's done. Now, again, we have to put a practice in because this isn't our default usually. So here's what I would say. Here are some things that have helped me. Start with a gratitude journal. Take a journal with you and write down and do this for a couple of months. Write down everything that you're, you can be grateful for in a day and then review it at the end of the day. Or another thing I've done is use the phone. Use my phone. I'll set an alarm to go off every hour or I'll use a 6060 app. And every time it goes off, I think back. What were the things I'm grateful for the last hour? Then I'll use Evernote or some other iPhone app or phone note pad and write them down so that you start to groove them in. Another practice, imagine going without. You know, sometimes our RAS is wired so that it only sees the negative, right? So sometimes I find it helpful to think, well, what if I didn't have this? And it helps me be grateful for things that I often take for granted. You know, like good coffee in the morning. And what would I do without good coffee? You know, you wouldn't like me without good coffee, right? You know, and, and, and so just thank you, God, for coffee. Thank you for a new day. Driving to work. I drive. You know, most of the world can't drive. They don't have a car. Thank you, God, for a car. And then I can drive. You know, or just enjoyment. You laugh during the day. You know, thank him for that. You have a little victory at work. You succeed. Thank him for that. For friends. For sunset. For beauty. Let that jump you to think of all the beautiful things of nature. What if you had to go without that. Do you know that every January and February, I thank God that I don't live in Chicago and don't have to shovel snow one more day? I had five years of that. That's enough for any lifetime. So what would it be like to go without? Thank God for all those things that if you had to go without, you wouldn't like it. And it begins to reset. Gratitude. Right now, it may seem impossible to overcome anxiety. It may seem impossible that hope and peace and joy could be your automatic default mode, but it's not impossible. Do these two practices daily. Do them for two to six months daily. Contemplative prayer and gratitude and watch what once seemed impossible to be very possible. Watch this. On June 3rd, 2017, I woke up early ate my usual breakfast of muesli and fruit, and made it to the base of the wall before sunrise. I felt confident as I looked up the wall, and felt even better as I started climbing. About 500 feet up, I reached a slab, very similar to the one that had given me so much trouble on Half Dome. But this time was different. I scouted every option, including hundreds of feet of wall to either side, and I knew exactly what to do and how to do it. I had no doubts, I just climbed right through. Even the difficult and strenuous sections passed by with ease. I was perfectly executing my routine. I rested for a moment below the boulder problem, and then climbed it just as I had practiced so many times with the rope on. My foot shot across to the wall on the left without hesitation, and I knew that I'd done it. And that's what you'll find as well. 
Well, you know, before we close in prayer, um, I want to just uh, update our Gateway regulars on our year-end initiative and, uh, and for me, practice gratitude as well. You know, every year-end, we, uh, if you're new to Gateway, every year-end, we ask each other to go above and beyond our regular giving that, you know, like Justin was saying, goes all over the world, uh, but to, to go above and beyond at year-end uh, to make a difference for people who are not a part of our community. So one year, we actually built a hospital in India, a million-dollar hospital in India to care for the poor. Another year, we cared for a 1,000 refugee kids for an entire year, just on what we go above and beyond at year-end to give. Isn't that amazing? And this year, we committed to launching two new campuses, one in Butte, and one in Pflugerville, and starting 20 new networks that would go out for years to come and serve people who are not a part of our community. And you know, I'm, I'm very grateful uh, for those of you who committed here at year end uh, to do that. We ended up getting about half the commitments uh, that we need to actually do that. But you know, even as I've practiced being grateful to those of you who have made those commitments, just in the last week, another $100,000 came in toward our $800,000 goal. So here's what I'd say, it's not too late. You know, uh, those of you who, who haven't decided to join in with us, you still can. And we can still do this. And uh, I, I really want to encourage us to. Do you know there's momentum there? Do you know down in Butte, and at Pflugerville at Christmas, they held events, had 70 to 80 people there, 50% of them didn't go to church anywhere and were super excited about a come-as-you-are church where they could explore faith and be a part of a community like this. So look, we need to do this. So it's, it's not too late. You can go out on gatewaychurch.com slash challenge and, and make a commitment. And, and if, we, if we get enough, we'll go ahead and move forward in this year. Um, if not, here's what we'll do. Our new campus pastors, Jesse and John, will be in the Super Bowl preach-off, winner take all. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Come on. No, act, actually, what we'll do is we'll delay the launch uh, to give us time to raise it. Those of you who have made commitments, continue on because we're going to do this. We need to do this. But let me just encourage you. You know, there's so much good going on. And, and for, for those of you here at North, too, I just want to encourage you as well. You know, I, I don't know what happened, but for the first time in December, we actually didn't hit our budget. We were 10% below budget. I don't know if it's a stock market and everybody fearing and reacting, but stock market's coming back up. Everything's going to be okay. Breathe deep, relax, do your contemplative prayer, and don't worry, okay? But seriously, I would say first, give to North Campus here, and let's get back on track budget-wise, and then everything that comes in above and beyond will go to launching these campuses and these networks. All right, well, with that update, next week, we're going to talk about we're going to wrap up this series on anxiety, talking about the importance of relationship. Uh, and so don't miss that. But let's close right now in prayer. Will you pray with me? And I want to give you just a chance for one second to slow down and just be grateful. God, the truth is there's so much to be grateful for. But we run through life not just stopping to thank you. So just as many things as you can bring to mind right now, just say, God, thank you for this. Thank you for that. However little, however great.
Truly, Lord, there are too many things to name, but we need to more and more. We need to as a habit so that we start to see the good and the positive things that you've put in a world that, yeah, it doesn't always go your way. There is hurt, there is evil, but there is hope because you, God, are ultimately in charge and there's more to life than what we just experience in the moments. And ultimately, there's hope in you and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.